Welcome to Confessions, Convictions, and Conversations, a podcast exploring the cool Christian girl's guide to living in America. I'm your girl, April Davenport. I'll reveal to you a little personal testimony while merging ministry, education, and real life. We will also discuss current events with relevant figures of our time. It is the perfect blend of headline news, black girl magic, and of course, Jesus juice. Come with me on a journey you won't soon forget. So stay tuned, don't change the channel, and let's take a ride. Welcome to Confessions, Convictions, and Conversations. I'm your host, April Davenport. I'm so glad that you're here with me for episode five, Conviction, Real Life is Not a Headline. I hope that you've been with me all season long, but if you haven't, that's okay. Just make sure that you go back and check out episodes one through four. They were great, so you certainly don't want to miss them. But I'm so excited about today's episode, Conviction, Real Life is Not a Headline, because what you don't know about me is that, of course, I am an avid reader, and so I read the newspaper every single morning. Yes, every single morning, I read the newspaper. I like to read the New York Times and the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I also watch the news every single day, but there's something about reading a newspaper article that's really super satisfying for me. While I may not read every single article, because honestly, with all of the online content, that would actually be almost impossible. I do my best to read as many as possible and to read as much as possible that I think would allow me to be as abreast of as many current events as possible. And everywhere I turn, there are headlines. Headlines to capture the current climate of America. Headlines to capture my attention. Headlines to represent what is perceived as life in the world today. In 2020 alone, we have endured more headlines than any of us care to admit. Here are just a few. The World Health Organization declares the coronavirus as a pandemic. Trump is acquitted by the Senate on both articles of impeachment. The United Kingdom withdraws from the European Union. Kobe and Gigi Bryant, along with seven other passengers, died in a helicopter crash in Calabasas, California. A Ukrainian flight crashes in Iran, killing all 176 passengers on board. Prince Harry and Meghan Markle announced they are stepping down from their duties as senior royals in Buckingham Palace. George Floyd killed by Minneapolis police. Breonna Taylor killed by Louisville police. Rayshard Brooks killed by Atlanta police. Coronavirus, 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 coronavirus. All of these issues have been or still are a headline at one point or another during the year 2020. They have completely consumed our lives and the headlines have actually been ripped off the pages and forced us to take an evaluation of our everyday life. In some way and in some fashion, headlines aren't just meant to grab our attention or for us just to read the article. Headlines are meant to stick with us, to convict us. But real life isn't just a headline. 
I told you that my parents grew up in a very rural part of Georgia, in a town below Athens. Really, it's the call, a town called Oglethorpe. And when I say rural, I really mean rural. There are no traffic lights, there are no grocery stores, no fast food restaurants, there is no Chick-fil-A, which is my favorite. So that in itself alone, which means I could not live down there. As a child, I really didn't understand why anyone would want to live in this town. But I've matured now, and while I don't want to live down there, I can at least appreciate Oglethorpe for what it has to offer in the way of simplicity and tranquility. While Oglethorpe is massive in land area, it only has about 12,000 residents. And unlike the city, there is a clear division of black and white. There's only one elementary school, one middle school, and one high school. And it wasn't until the late 70s that the schools were integrated. I find it extremely interesting that my first cousins and I are only one generation away from real life Jim Crow segregation. My aunts, uncles, and parents actually lived through whites only, blacks only, and everything that really came along with that. And because it's only a few decades and because of the lack of development in the town, there's really still so much division embedded in Oglethorpe. I recently made a visit to my parents' hometown and we visited my great uncle's house. He has passed on, but as we went through some of the artifacts in his house, we found evidence of a very divided America. An America that is very much indicative of the headlines that we see today. We found a Reader's Digest from the 1960s with headlines that spoke of racial unrest and a people crying out for civil rights. We also found photographs that proved whites-only objects really did exist. And then there were groups of blacks only. In viewing these items, I realized that we can't just read headlines. We have to realize that there are people who are living out the tragedy of these headlines. I can't really imagine what it must have felt like for my predecessors or even for my parents to go to laundromats and use dysfunctional machines simply because they were black. How did they feel having to enter into a back door of a restaurant or a store simply because someone did not like the color of their skin? What would have happened had my dad been at the wrong place at the wrong time and had a disagreement with a white police officer? Would I even be here on this podcast right now? The sad part about this reality is that when I go to Oglethorpe or even Athens for that matter, not much has changed. Sure, there's no segregation. Yes, the schools are integrated. Of course, all of the signs suggesting division are gone but the invisible division is still apparent. There are so many people who still believe that we are better as a nation when we are apart. And because of this, my parents cannot fully embrace a diverse society. They can't really watch a film showing racial injustice. Why? Because the depiction of their life is not entertainment. They live this reality. It's not a headline for them. It's not a movie title for them. And every time they have to remind me of this fact, something really kind of tightens in my chest at the fear that they must have carried with them all throughout their lives until they moved to Atlanta in 1980. However, after you've endured trauma for so long, does it really ever go away? 
Can you trust a new normal once you have lived in what you should not have thought to be normal? How do you erase the headline of your life when the ink is permanent? How do we really heal from the past when it doesn't really seem to be over? I'll admit, I think I downplayed all that my family members endured for the first 19 years of my life. I mean, I heard the stories a lot. I felt the tension when we would go down home, but I didn't understand the depth until I went away for college. We read these headlines day in and day out, and while we sympathize, I don't think that many of us begin to actually empathize until something happens to us or around us that helps us to make a deep connection to the headline. I told you that I attended the University of Notre Dame to obtain both my bachelor's and my master's degree, and they were actually some of the very best years of my life. I never had an issue with race at Notre Dame. I can't speak for anyone else's experience, but I never had an issue with race. However, Notre Dame was situated in the city of South Bend, and the city of South Bend was an entirely different issue. First of all, for the first four months, I really didn't think that black people lived in South Bend, except for a few because all around Notre Dame, whenever I left campus, I only saw white people. I never really saw any blacks. It wasn't until one day my friends and I decided to explore far from campus that we discovered another part of town and realized that there was this entirely different part of South Bend that we never knew existed. All of a sudden, everything looked different and we had to wonder, were we even still in South Bend? Moreover, we wondered, while there were very few people who were actually from South Bend who attended Notre Dame, none of those people were black. Why was that? In our quest to figure out exactly what that meant, we also had to wonder, should we even be out here? Here we were, black people, questioning if we should be around black people. What was happening to us? Well, one day, a few months later, after I had gotten my own car, I decided to take a drive because driving light clears my head. I ventured out apparently a little too far from campus because campus and its surrounding parts was like a safe zone. And all of a sudden, a cop pulls up behind me. Now, mind you, I was sitting at a red light. I was sitting still and the cop pulls up behind me and turns on his lights. There's no one around me, no one coming, no one going, no one. I mean, this is South Bend. Traffic doesn't really flow like that. Although I knew I had done nothing wrong, I was a law-abiding citizen, so I proceeded to let down my window and wait for the officer to come. The police officer comes to the window, and I'm like, I was sitting still, so what's the issue here? He then says, you have a Georgia plate, what are you doing way up here? In my head, I'm thinking, this is a college town. There are a lot of out-of-state plates up here. Figure it out. But instead, I say, I attend the University of Notre Dame. He says, as what? I stare at him because I'm wondering if I'm the crazy one or if he is. And I say, as a student, he says, 
No, I mean, as what kind of athlete? I'm irritated now, but I say, I don't play sports, I'm just a student. I know where this is headed, but I'm so over this guy right now. He then tells me to step out of the car. I'm like, what? For what? Now I'll be the first to admit, I pass sarcasm with flying colors. And it probably wasn't wise to get smart in this situation, but the police officer had yet to ask me for my license, my registration, insurance, or even tell me why he was wasting my time in the first place. But you want me to get out of the car? Sir, that's definitely gonna be a negative. I say, why do I need to get out of the car? You haven't even told me why you stopped me. And here is how I know that God was certainly looking out for me. Because in that moment, I saw something change in the police officer's eyes. And I really had no idea what was getting ready to happen. But in the moment that I saw something change in the police officer's eyes, a car pulls up next to me. I don't even know where the car came from because remember I told you we were out in the middle of nowhere. There was nothing coming, nothing going, but the car pulls up next to me. And in that moment, the police officer says, you can go. And he goes back to get in his car and I hightail it out of there. What was getting ready to happen to me? Had that car not pulled up? I really don't have any idea. But every time something happens to me, my mind travels back to that moment in South Bend. What would have happened had the car not pulled up? In that moment, God sent that car to save my life. I really don't know what would have happened. To this day, I still don't understand why the cop pulled up behind me. I still don't understand why he turned on his lights. But the only thing that I can attribute it to is race. I was black. He was white and he had to think that I was in the wrong place at the wrong time. I don't even know, I don't even care to know, but all I know is that I thank God in that moment is that the car pulled up at the right time. What was going to happen? So many times we think there are so many different people in the wrong place in the wrong time. Sometimes there's somebody that comes along that saved a life, but other times, as we know, somebody doesn't come along and a life gets lost. I gained so much appreciation for all that my parents and other family members went through while growing up in the Jim Crow South after I went through that moment. So have you ever experienced racial profiling? And if so, how did it impact you? When I think about the Mike Browns, the Tamir Rices, the George Floyds, the Sandra Blands, the Breonna Taylors, the Atiana Jeffersons, and the others that are really too many to name, I think about all of the people who have had to suffer because of the harsh reality of our world. And I realize that while the headline starts the conversation, we have to be convicted. We need to understand that real life is more than just a headline. We have to do more than just read the article. We have to do more than just create a post. We have to do more than just create a hashtag. As Kimberly Elise says in the movie John Q, we have to do something. What can we do? Yes, we can continue to protest to ensure that the attention never dies down. If you are enraged, find a protest and march toward justice. 
But protesting isn't enough. Now more than ever, we have to vote. It is literally vote or die. If we aren't voting, we aren't doing anything right. The entire future of our nation rests on our vote. This upcoming election is perhaps the most important election of our generation. And if we don't vote, then these headlines will continue to overtake us. But we can't just vote one time and be done. We have to vote every single time, every national election, every midterm election, every local election. Vote for the president, vote for the governor, vote for your congressmen, vote for your judges, vote for laws, every vote, every time. It's time for your life to be a headline and only you can write that. So what will it say? Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of Confessions, Convictions, and Conversations. I'm so glad that you're here with me. And remember, don't forget to hit the subscribe button and don't forget to connect with me on social media because I love to learn more about you as you're learning about me. But before you go, let me pray for you. God, I love the people in my army, but I know that you love them best. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks so much for tuning in to Confessions, Convictions, and Conversations. We are just getting started. So make sure to connect with me on social at AS Davenport and at Fresh Start Fridays. For more information on the podcast, please visit www.asdministries.org. Also, don't forget to subscribe to the show and be a part of April's Army. Remember, Anytime is a good time to confess the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, live by your own personal convictions, and it's always a great time to have a good conversation. I'm your girl, April Davenport. See you next time.